You're listening to an audio message from Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. For more information, visit our website at harvestgranger.org. Open your Bible to Hebrews chapter 12. And as you're doing that, let me just kind of say at the beginning here, um, I need a little bit of your patience this morning and understanding the pastor and his family are a little fragile. Uh, That is because for the past 17 years, we have been working on an arrow and um, it's, we've worked to shapen and sharpen and shape and we stuck the arrow in the bow last Friday and we shot the arrow to Cedarville University. And arrow number three is now there with our extended family. And uh, here's the fam, the original Griffith fam. And uh, we took this picture and then we all just burst into tears. Uh, And so uh, Andrea is a little dehydrated uh, this weekend. She hasn't stopped crying because we've launched another arrow. Is there anybody here that can identify with what I'm talking about? You've done this, you've done this, and it's painful, right? And then um, we thought that that would free up some seats, but then I look back here and we got all these college students. And so you're parents are weeping somewhere else. I uh, met a couple from Waco, Texas that launched an arrow to us. And so we took the arrow and we said, we'll take care of the arrow, but we're going to sharpen the arrow. So that's all happening as school gets started back. And that's what's been happening in our family as well. I've got uh, two of the five arrows left in the home. So we're in transition season in our family. And uh, a few weeks ago, we started this series on parenting called Shooting Straight. This is message number three of this four-part series. And by way of review, what we've been learning, it is the Lord who builds the house and they labor in vain who build it unless we lean into the Lord. We've learned that children are like arrows in the hand of a warrior, which means parents are like warriors. Parenting is war. And so we're learning how to be used of God in the war, the battle for good in, uh, in this world. And we learned last week from Psalm 128, as we extended the passage over into that second chapter, that blessed is everyone who fears the Lord who walks in his ways. Now that is the heart of every parent right there. Every parent wants their kid to be blessed. Is there anybody here that wants your your kid to be cursed and just like, I just want them to be a miserable failure. There no, no parents are like that. And uh, what we want our children to be blessed, which means our children have to do two things. They have to fear the Lord and they have to walk in his ways. So how do we as parents get them to fear the Lord and walk in his ways? Ephesians chapter six tells us how to do that. It's addressed to fathers. Fathers do not provoke your children to anger. Guys, would you quit provoking your kid to anger? Quit being so angry. Quit being so intimidating and dominating. Stop provoking your kid to anger. That's what that says. But instead do these two things. Bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. And so children learn to fear the Lord when parents use the instrument of discipline. And children learn to walk in the ways of the Lord when parents use the instrument of instruction. And we learned last week that's hard to get right, the balance of love and discipline, discipline and instruction. We used this little chart last week to identify four types of parents. We don't want to be the authoritarian parent that's high in discipline, always in charge and always controlling and intimidating and dominating, but low in discipline. 
We don't want to be the neglectful parent that's low in love, low in discipline, just kind of ignores their children, lets them raise themselves. We don't want to be the permissive parent. Oh, we love them so much and we just shower them with so much praise, but we never confront their disobedience. Don't be that guy. What we want to be is high in love, high in discipline. That's a gospel-centered parent. And we learned this verse last week, Proverbs 13, 24, whoever spares the rod hates his son. What an awful parent. Who would say to a parent, you hate your children? Well, apparently the Lord would say that if you don't discipline him. And so it says, he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Love and discipline. It's hard to get that balance right. I haven't always got that that balance right. And yet we've got so many parents that are part of our church trying to get that balance right. That's why we're spending some time talking about this. And so we're going to dive here into Hebrews chapter 12 to talk about discipline. Let's talk about this and let's begin reading in Hebrews 12 beginning in verse 5. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons. Notice there's something about the Lord that we forget. Now, few of us forget the Lord is high in love. How many of you are glad God is loving? He's loving God. But there's something we want to forget, and that is that he is also high in discipline. And so do you see the next little part in your Bible? Does your your Bible kind of set those verses apart? Is it kind of bracketed in your Bible or your iPhone or whatever you're looking on right now? I don't know if it does it on the iPhone, but in in a printed Bible, they used to print the Bibles and um, uh, it, it brackets them to let us know this is a quotation from the Old Testament. This is actually from Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. And the writer of Hebrews uses that verse to remind us of how God disciplines. Notice what he says. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Don't forget God disciplines. Do you see the word discipline there? Underline that word. You're going to see it like eight times in this passage. The word discipline is the same word that we get our word disciple from or discipleship from. Discipline is a form of discipleship. And you cannot be a disciple of the Lord without being disciplined by the Lord. Don't regard it lightly. Don't forget it. Don't minimize it. But welcome it. Embrace the discipline of the Lord. He goes on to say, don't be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves. Do you see the balance? It's because he loves me that he disciplines me and chastises every son whom he receives. And so we start with this understanding. God disciplines every child as an act of love. We start with the conviction that God loves us and he treats us as if we are his sons. He wants to bless us. And so he disciplines us. God's love is not a pampering love. God's love is a perfecting love. He wants more obedience from us because he wants you to be blessed more by him. And so we must be disciplined by the Lord. Now, for some of you, I just explained why your life is so hard. If you've ever sit around and scratched your head and like, I wonder why I'm always out of money. 
I wonder why everything I touch breaks. I wonder why I've got so many health issues. Why is, so many, why is my life just so chaotic? Why is every relationship seem to be end in turmoil and conflict? Have you ever considered that that might be the loving, correcting, disciplining hand of God on one of his children? And have you ever connected the chaos and the turmoil and the pain in your life to the disobedience to God that is going on in your relationship with him? If you would stop sinning, God would stop disciplining you. If you want the pain to stop, then the disobedience has to stop. Now, some of you are like, you know what? I don't really follow the Lord. I I don't really care about God. I don't really follow his instruction, but life's going great for me. My relationships are not chaotic and painful. That is not a good sign. You know what that means? You're not one of his children because God spanks every one of his children. How many of you ever gotten a spanking from the Lord? Raise your hand. Don't be ashamed of the fact you've been spanked by God. He loves you so much. He wants you to be blessed so much. He corrects you. He brings you back into the boundaries. Now, there's something very important about the gospel we have to realize. And most of you do not understand this. I'm about to blow a circuit for some of you, okay? Pay very close attention. Do you understand that if you are God's child... God does not punish your sin. You say, I knew if I kept coming to this church long enough, he was eventually going to say something heretical. And now he just said, God doesn't punish my sin. Everybody knows God punishes sin. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Do we or do we not believe that Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin. Do we believe that? Did Jesus take the punishment for all of my sin? Well, most of it, but, but I mean, God's got to punish. Listen, if God was to punish one half of one of your sins, you would already be in hell. Jesus took all of it. So then what is this discipline piece? Do you understand that God's discipline is not punitive, it's redemptive. It's corrective. He allows or maybe even directs some pain in your life to pull you back in line with his will. God disciplines every child as an act of love. God loves you that much. And it's actually a sign that you're a child of God. One of the assurances for those of you that doubt, I wonder if I'm a Christian. Does God spank you? That means you're one of his children. God doesn't discipline the devil's kids. Only his, right? And so here we understand that God is so good and so loving, the balance between love and discipline. Not only that, but this, God expects every parent to lovingly discipline every child. Look at the next part here in verse 7. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? Now notice that's a rhetorical question. Do you you understand rhetorical questions? 
Rhetorical questions are ones that are so obvious that you don't even have to supply the answer. Notice the answer is not supplied. What's the most obvious answer to the question? What son is there whom his father doesn't discipline? What's the answer? None. Every, every father disciplines his son if he loves him, right? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. We, we, we may have some fathers and mothers in here who are actually not disciplining their son. And that is a sign that you don't love them enough. Because every father discipline a child that he loves. Verse 8 says, if you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Discipline is a sign that your parents care for you, are responsible for you, love you, and want the best for you. And so every parent is expected to discipline every child. And then this, loving discipline is essential for training children in these three things, respect, holiness, and righteousness. Any parent here love to have a little more respect? Any parent here love to have your children just be a little more holy than they were last week? A little more righteousness bleeding out of the crevices? Of, of your children's lives? Yes. So how do we get that? Notice verse eight. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. If the earthly fathers did it right. How many of you got spanked by a dad or a mom when you're growing up? Raise your hands. Don't be ashamed. You, look at all these parents that, that loved these children. Now, how many of you, you didn't, you, you didn't get as many spankings as you deserved. You should have got more. Okay, good. And then how many of you, your parents didn't, I won't even ask that. We, are, we actually already know who you are, that your, your parents didn't spank you. Okay, that you just, we know, it's just obvious, right? So anyway, and yet of those people that just raised your hand, how many of you respected your parents? And you respected your parents more because they loved you enough to lean into your life. And now you're grateful. That's what, you just affirm scripture. We had earthly fathers who disciplined us and somehow we still respected them. This respect went up, not down. And so it goes on. It says, shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time. Underline the words short time. It goes very fast. Short 17 years we had with arrow number three and it's over. And there's only a window of time that a parent has to lean into the heart of a child for redemptive purposes. For a short time, as seemed best to them, and he, God, disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. Do you see the connection between discipline and holiness? And then verse 11, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. How many of you have ever told your children, this is going to hurt me so much more than it's going to hurt you? Don't say that. That's so stupid. Don't say that. It's painful for both, right? But it doesn't seem painful to the kid. You're like, well, you want to switch places? I mean, I could, you know, so that it just, it just, it's bad logic on the part of a parent. Not, not great. But all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later, 
Later, notice in the moment, it's not going to be a happy moment. Later, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. Do you see it? Respect, holiness, righteousness, all the overflow. And here's the last thing we learn. Loving discipline is worth it. Loving discipline is worth the pain. And I have proof. If you've been following along this summer, it's been a very transitional time in the Griffith household. On June the 22nd, I shot arrow number one at that guy right over there. And he's over there and he's got one of my arrows. And that's good because it's time for me to release. That was arrow number one. On the morning of June the 22nd, on my desk, I had a note from arrow number one, three pages. Now, it is much too personal, and I would begin to cry if I began to read it, but I just want to show you one little line in the note. It says, it, it says, oh, where'd it go? Oh, there it is, right here, here it is. It says, it says, thank you for supporting me, encouraging me, praying for me, and spanking me. Right there is the proof. Thank you for spanking me. It's 22 years to get this note and that little thing right there. It's proof. Later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness for those who are trained by it. David, are you grateful that I spanked her? Okay, all right, good. I did that for you. And then... And then on Friday, we, we loaded up arrow number three and went to my office on my desk. Arrow number three left a note. I will not read you all of this, but I will read you what it says. Thank you for the hours you spent praying for me and disciplining me. <laughs> proof, <laughs> proof later. Now, now, Brooke received many, many more than this one did, but that, that's beside the point. Uh, so, loving discipline is worth the pain. Now, let me be very, very clear about what we're talking about, because this is a hard subject. Okay? I could step in a pothole really easy up here, okay? So, what are we talking about when we talk about loving discipline? I want to give you a definition. Every word of the definition is very important. Here it is. What is it? Loving discipline is a measured amount of of momentary pain. Notice it's a measured amount of momentary pain supplied by loving parents in response to rebellion by a child to offset the momentary pleasure of sin and rescue him from a lifetime or an eternity of self-inflicted pain. Every word's very important. Notice, a measured amount of pain. It is not all of the pain that you can possibly inflict upon your children. It's measured. It's appropriate for the age. It's appropriate for the offense. It's a mom getting to measure a dad's discipline and a dad getting to measure mom's discipline so that you work together not to get out of balance on one side or the other. And it's momentary pain. You know, Homes where parents don't discipline their children, it's, you just walk in the atmosphere of the home and it's just kind of a general 20-year misery, low-grade misery. 
But when you commit to like, if there's an offense, there's gonna be a starting point of discipline, there's gonna be an ending point of discipline, that might last five minutes, that might last 15 minutes, but it starts and it stops and then we get, we're all happy and relationships are reconciled and we go on. Momentary pain, could be physical pain, could be technological pain, could be social pain, all kinds of different ways to inflict pain. It's measured and it's supplied by loving parents. Notice it doesn't say supplied by angry parents, frustrated parents, out of control parents, exhausted parents. No, loving parents. Notice it doesn't say loving grandparents, loving school administrators, loving pastors, loving babysitters. No, this is the job of a parent. You can't delegate this, okay? Now, you can bring others into the scenario and you can delegate the process if others have invested enough and spend these moments with children and children understand this is, this is delegated to other God-given authorities, but it is not something you can give away. As parents, we have to do this. By loving parents in response to rebellion. Notice it doesn't say in response to childishness. You don't discipline a three, you don't discipline a three-year-old for acting like a three-year-old. You discipline a 12-year-old for acting like a three-year-old. Three-year-olds are gonna break stuff. Three-year-olds are gonna do stupid stuff. You don't discipline them for being age-appropriate, right? Now, you discipline an 18-year-old for acting like a 12-year-old. But you have to constantly be discerning where do I lean in and where do I give grace? All those things. By rebellion, it's defiant, willful behavior by a child. Again, in a very early age, you have a window of opportunity to reach in and grab a child's heart and that window closes a little bit every day. And it is to offset the momentary pleasure of sin. Listen, sin is fun. It is. It's awesome. You're like, again, you're being heretical in church. What are you talking? Don't tell my children. It's, uh, you know, they already know. They already know how fun it is. But it's for a short time. And then there's a lifetime of regret that comes with it. And some of you are living with the regret. And if you knew then what you know now, you wouldn't have done that. Even though it was fun for five minutes. And our job as a parent is to offset the pleasure with some momentary pain to rescue him. Remember, he's a prisoner of war. You're a warrior. He's not our enemy. He's the target of the enemy. So I'm trying to rescue him from a lifetime or maybe even an eternity if he never repents of sin, if he never turns, if he never acknowledges he's not God. Then it's gonna be a lifetime and beyond an eternity of self-inflicted pain. That's how much we have to love our children. Now listen, before you can do this, let me give you a warning. Have you ever, you ever been overdrawn at the bank? Some of you are overdrawn right now, I understand, but um, yeah, you're, if you go there and you try to make a withdrawal and you've not made enough deposits, then this doesn't work. If that's true in banking, it's also true in parenting. If you have not made enough deposits of love, you are never going to be able to make the withdrawals of discipline and find that this thing works. 
Some of you just think that, oh, this is the magic formula. I lean in, I discipline them, I'll show them. No, listen, if you haven't had more deposits of love than you are making withdrawals of discipline, your children are not going to respect you, they're going to resent you. So you have to balance it with love every time. That's what we're talking about here. So let's get real practical about this. And uh, what should we do? There's been an offense. There's been defiance. What do I do as a parent? I want to model God. I want to discipline and love. How do I do it? Well, understand this. First of all, take aim at the heart. You're like, I thought it was the bottom, that little fatty piece on the back there. And you're like, no, 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 listen, that's the avenue to the heart. But listen, it's a heart issue. Please understand this. Your problem, the problem with children is not the evil surrounding them. The problem with children is the evil indwelling them. The heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. And the parent's target is the heart. The heart is the controlling agent for behavior. Notice this, Proverbs chapter 22, verse 15. Folly is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Now, so notice something about your child. When he comes home from the hospital on the day or a couple of days after he's born, he comes home with a tank on the inside. It's fully loaded. It's spilling over. Label on the outside of the tank is foolishness. You got another tank on in there. This one's bone dry. Label on the outside of that one's wisdom. Job of a parent, extract the foolishness, fill up the wisdom. That's the job. So here's the problem. There's a lock on the inside of this tank. And I got to find the key. Well, the Bible tells me what the key is, something called a rod. And the rod provides the discipline, the physical pain that unlocks the tank so you can drain the folly. What is this folly, this foolishness? The foolishness is the bent, fallen nature of every human being. As cute as they are, they are foolish and this foolishness controls them. It controls all of us. And when you as a parent aren't loving, now you're being foolish. So you've got to be careful. You're not mirroring back to the kid his own foolishness. So this folly has to be extracted. It has to be unlocked. There's another verse in the Bible that helps us understand what foolishness is. Proverbs or uh, Psalm 14.1, very famous verse. This is what it says. The fool has said in his own heart, where does he say it? In his heart, there's a little echo chamber on the inside of the heart. There's something speaking in there. And this is the fool has said in his own heart, there is no God. There's something on the inside of a kid's heart trying to convince him he can live his life as if God doesn't exist. And if he listens to that voice, not only will he live as if God doesn't exist, He'll live as if he was God. There is no God. There is no God. I am God. Mom and dad, come bow down and worship me as God. I will scream in the middle of the night at three o'clock in the morning, even though my diaper has been changed and my tummy is, is full and I'm not sick and I don't have an ear infection. I just want to sleep in your bed. Because I am God. That's in there. 
It's foolishness. And you know what many parents do? Oh, yes. We bow down. We welcome you into the throne room and set you upon the throne. And we all bow down. No, listen, folly's bound in the heart of that child. The rod of foolishness will drive it far from him. Now, there, there's more here. Let's, let's keep going. Jeremiah 17, 9 tells us more about the heart. This is true of every person here. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Yes, I just called your child sick. He's sin sick. He's got a terminal disease. It's the S-I-N virus. Kills us all, okay? And we're doing battle against that sin on the inside of them. Matter of fact, if you still have your Bible open to Hebrews chapter 12, the whole passage starts out with this little phrase. If you look back up at um, verse four, do you see what it says? In your struggle against sin. That's what it is. Your kids are struggling with sin. And you come alongside of them with discipline to help them win that battle. The heart's deceitful above all things, desperately sick. Who can understand it? So all of the behavioral issues come from the heart. Proverbs 4.23 says, keep your heart with all vigilance for for from it flow the springs of life. It all springs out of the heart. Jesus said it this way in Mark chapter 20. Mark chapter 7, verse 20. For from within, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. Anybody want a kid like that? You know, like, we're going to make some rules against that. From now on, no more slander. That ought to fix them. Uh, no more theft around here. We got rules against that. Matter of fact, we, there's, we got verses to back it up. Thou shalt not steal. That, that'll fix it. it. It might conform them to some moral code or even religious code, but it's not gonna fix their heart because Jesus said all of these things, these evil things come from within. It's the monster that lurks within. And we as parents have to get to the heart. So listen, the goal of our parenting is not to conform people to our behavior. Our goal is to help them understand your behavior is messed up because your heart's messed up. And I can't fix your heart, only God can unless the Lord builds the house. And so our job as a parent is to reach their heart so we can direct their heart to the heart of God. That's the job of a parent. It's taking aim at the heart. You can have all kinds of rules, all kinds of discipline, all kinds of punishment that conforms behavior. But if you miss the heart, you raised a little self-righteous Pharisee. Number two, start early. Now I'm looking at a lot of young parents, and, and not, I don't even have to look. We hear you. We hear you coming, and uh, we're trying to help you out here. And let me just share, you know, from some years of experience here, I've met a lot of parents that don't start early enough. This, this starts early. It's like, how early? I would answer that by saying, whenever the child understands the word, no, it's time to start. 
So here's little Junior. He's crawling across the living room floor. And he looks up. And on the coffee table, he sees your Starbucks drink. And because his heart is desperately wicked, he thinks it's good. And so he pulls himself up on the coffee table. And he looks at you. And he looks back at the drink. And he looks at you. And you say, no. And he grabs that drink and looks at you and is like, what are you going to do about it? I am God. (laughs) Who are you to tell me I can't have what I want? You ain't the boss of me. That's time to start right there. That's when you start. When they cross the line and now it is a battle for the heart. Who's going to control me? Am I, is my heart going to control me or is the heart of God going to control me? Is the heart of my parent being controlled by the heart of God going to control me? Because my heart is deceitful, desperately wicked. And you got to start early. Andrea and I have experienced this. We, we, again, we have not done this all the right, but the greatest, one of the greatest things, we were just surrounded by godly parents and we were in a godly community when our kids were really young. And so we started early and you know what we discovered? By the time our children turned five, 80% of our physical discipline was over. You just start early. And then they learn. It's like, okay, things don't go too well when I disobey. I want things to go well. And so they learn that. Number two, expect first-time obedience. Really? You could really, do you really believe you can expect your child to obey everything you say every time you say it the first time you say it? You're like, you could expect that, but it ain't happening. What are you going to do about it? So here's little Susie, and she's got mommy's iPhone, and she's watching Door of the Explorer. What do they watch these days? I don't know. So she's all into this, but it's time for bed. And mommy comes and says, Susie, you need to put down mommy's iPhone and you need to run upstairs, put your pajamas on, jump in the bed. Do it now. Susie, little precious. Um, I guess you didn't hear mommy, but... I want you to put the iPhone down. I need you to run upstairs, put your pajamas on, jump in the bed, do it now. (laughs) Susie, I've had such a hard day. Got to deal with all your siblings over here. And then there's your dad. And it's just so hard at home. If you love me, you would put the iPhone down and go upstairs and put your pajamas on and go to bed. Please. I'll give you ice cream. (laughs) We'll go to Cedar Point. I'll buy you a dress. Susie, I have had it up to here with you. Put that iPhone down or I will kill you. I'm going to count to three. (gasps) One. (gasps) Two. (gasps) 
Susie puts the iPhone down, goes up the stairs, puts her pajamas on, jumps in bed. Why? Because she's seen mom get to three. <laughs> and it's painful. And there's consequences when mom gets to three. There ain't pain, there ain't consequences and all this other thing. She's experiencing pain, but I'm not experiencing pain. I don't have to move since she gets to three. She's trained me that she really doesn't expect me to obey until she gets to two and, <gasps> and a half. Why not just save yourself the trouble and expect her to obey the first time? And if she doesn't obey the first time, there's a painful consequence so that tomorrow night you never get to two and a half. Amen. <laughs> that was from a man who never saw his father get to two and a half. I can tell. <laughs> That's right. It's the only fair way to discipline a child because the kid never knows. Like, is mom going to lose it today or is this going to be consistent? That's the next thing. You got to be consistent every day, all day, same thing, every time. And you got to follow a consistent pattern. Hey, Andrew and I, you know, our kids would act up. We, we kind of had this pattern and it sounded something like this. Okay, you need to go to your room and sit there on your bed. I'm going to be in there a minute. You need to think about what you did go in the room. You need to take, take them to a private place. You don't do this on aisle three in Walmart, okay? It's like, okay, what did you do? You ask the questions because questions appeal to the conscience. Making accusations harden the will. So you ask the question, what did you do? I don't know. Yeah, you do. Like, you, you see the blood coming from the nose of your brother? How'd it get there? Yeah, you balled up your fish. You punched him in the nose. Why did you do that? I don't know. Were you angry? Yes, I was angry. Why were you angry? He took my toy. So why did you punch him in the... He deserved it. And No, you were getting revenge. Were you getting revenge? Yes. Why? Because it wasn't fair. It's like, so you think you deserve better than what you got? What is that? Well, that's pride and that's selfishness. Now we're at the heart level talking about what's broken inside of you, not just what's broken outside of you, your brother's nose. So we have to fix what's wrong inside of you before we can fix brother's nose. So you have to be consistent. And then you have to use the biblical principle. You have to get the kid to understand you haven't just broken my law, you've broken God's law. So we need some scripture. First five years, you only need one. Ephesians 6, 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. That takes care of about five years of stuff. And then you supplement that with other things that you learn here in church. And the reason why the law is so important, the law is very important. And yet the apostle Paul tells us in Romans chapter seven that the power of the law is limited in what it can do. The law of God is very powerful to reveal to us that we have no power to obey the law. That's the purpose of the law. So you, you, tell, you tell them this, this child, it's like, yeah, you're having a hard time obeying. Why do you think you have such a hard time obeying? I'm just messed up. Yeah, you're bent, you're broken. That's called sin. And we can't change ourselves. We need somebody to save us from sin. Who is that? That's Jesus. So now every discipline opportunity becomes a gospel conversation. And what happened on the cross? Do you remember what happened on the cross? Yeah, Jesus took my sin on the cross. Yeah, who was his father? 
Father God. And so what was happening on the cross was Jesus was taking my sin. He was getting a spanking from God, not because he had sinned, but because I had sinned. And if I will trust in what Christ did, I will be treated as a son of God. This is a gospel conversation. And then if they've broken something, you have to go back and make it right. And there's the administering of the pain. And when you do that, you need to use a biblical instrument. So what is this thing? You keep seeing it. Here's another one of those verses that has that word in it. Proverbs 29, 15, the rod and reproof give wisdom. But a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. How many of you have seen this mother at the mall being brought to shame by her child? Because the child is out of control, begging, whining, pulling, grabbing, and mom doesn't know what to do because she didn't know the first half of the verse. The rod and reproof give wisdom. Notice it doesn't say the rod gives wisdom. Some of you think the rod is like a magic wand. That the moment that it touches the child, the child transforms into a... No, it doesn't say that reproof gives wisdom. It's not just verbal correction. What is it? It's the combination. It's love and discipline, instruction and discipline. That's how God disciplines us. And so what is this rod? We read about this rod. And I can just tell you, I do not know. The Bible doesn't tell us what it's made of. It doesn't give us dimensions for the rod. But I am smart enough as a theologian to know what a rod is not. Is that a rod? It's not a trick question. Is that a rod? What is that? That's a hand. And if you read in the Bible about hands that touch children, they're always giving a blessing. Jesus called the little children. He laid his hands on him and he blessed them. This is the instrument of blessing. That's why God wants it to be something separate from the parent because you don't don't want the kid associating pain with your hand. You want him associating it with his disobedience. And so there's this rod. And we don't exactly know what that is, but it's not a hand. It's not a club It's not whatever's closest. It's probably a dedicated instrument for applying the pain of discipline. So I don't know about you. I get in my mind a small wooden stick. Is that what you think of? A small wooden stick? So small that if you were to do it too hard, you'd break the stick and not the kid, right? Something to to create a, a temporary sting, not a bruise, not bleeding, nothing broken. That's not what we're talking about. And some of you are having a hard time even conceiving of that actually happening because that's the way that your parents disciplined you. They disciplined you in anger. That's not biblical discipline. That's called abuse. And if that's what you're doing, you're abusing your kid and you need to stop. Some of you don't ever need to use a rod again because you've demonstrated you can't do it without getting angry. And you need to find another form of discipline. And especially as the children get over, older, the rod becomes ineffective. You know, there was a time and our, our whole family went to Cedar Point to ride roller coasters. And yet one of the children was under discipline. And we're thinking, okay, what would create a little pain? Oh, I know. Let's stand in line for an hour to get on a roller coaster. That's painful enough. But how painful would it be if said child had to pass through and wait for the family to finish riding the roller coaster? That was painful. 
Some of you say, that was abusive. No, that was biblical discipline because it created pain, even greater than the pain of a rod at that point. Here's another verse, Proverbs 23, 13. Do not withhold discipline from the child. How clear can that be? If you strike him with the rod, he will not die. If you do it right. Some of you are doing it wrong and you stop. But if you do it right, he will not die. If you strike him with the rod, you'll save his soul from Sheol. Wait a minute. I thought trusting Jesus saved his whole soul from Sheol. Yes, but it is the understanding of the sin that gives him the concept, I need a savior to save me from Sheol, the place of death. Proverbs 22, 8, whoever sows injustice will reap calamity, but the rod of his fury will fail. Understand, you fail as a parent when you discipline in anger. The rod of your fury will fail, guaranteed. And so you have to do it the right way. A balance of love and discipline. Last thing, before you start doing it right, you should seek forgiveness for doing it wrong. You see, some of you, you've been deeply impacted by church this morning. And you're thinking, this is it. This is the answer I've been waiting for. I'm so glad we came to church today. You can't wait to get home because you're going to find a kid. You're going to find a rod and you're going to have revival in your home. Whoa, 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 stop, stop. Time out, time out. Whoa. Mm. Before you start doing it right, you may want to grab the kids and set them in a circle, get down on the floor, look them eyeball to eyeball and say, Daddy got a spanking from God today in church. I haven't been a good daddy. I've been distant. I've been angry. I've been abusive. And I want to ask your forgiveness. Will you please forgive me? Yes, daddy. All right, now listen, this is, this is what, there's gonna be some changes because I gotta be a good dad and I need to get the balance right of loving and discipline. And I've been neglectful, I've been permissive, I've been authoritarian, I wanna be gospel-centered. So here's what God has said to daddy. Disobedience has a price tag. It's painful, it's painful for me, it's painful for you. I'm tired of this low-grade misery we have around the house because nobody really knows when it's coming or what's gonna get you know, dealt with, here's what we're going to do. We're going to, there's going to be a price tag for disobedience. We're going to expect first time obedience and, and it's going to be hard in the few days. It's going to be greater. It's going to be later that we're going to experience all this wonderful, peaceful stuff we're talking about here. But it's, this is, do you remember that attitude you had at breakfast this morning? Yes, sir. All right. That we can't have that tomorrow. If we have that attitude and you throw the waffle at your sister the way you did this morning, then, then when I say, we'll say, go to your room, sit on the bed. Daddy's going to be there. I want you to think about what you're doing. When I come in there, I'm going to ask you, what did you do? Why did you do it? And we're going to look at some scripture and then there's going to be some pain and we're going to love you and affirm you and there's going to be grace and we're going to get past it, but we're not going to tolerate disobedience anymore. Everybody understand? wow, I'm glad we went to church this morning, dad. I'm so excited. So this, this is what we want to be, gospel-centered parents. One verse and then we're finished. Why don't you stand up with me and we'll read it together. Proverbs 29, 17. Discipline your son 
and he will give you rest. He will bring delight to your heart. Question, is that the way you would describe your relationship with your children? Restful and delightful. If it's not, maybe it's because you're not doing the first part of the verse. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for being a loving heavenly father and dealing, us, dealing with us in grace and God confronting us over our own disobedience. We believe you want to bless. And so God, we want to fear you, walk in your ways. And I pray for some here today that maybe walking outside the boundaries, ignoring you, living their life as if they were God. And I pray, God, that they would sense your loving, corrective, redemptive discipline and come back to you as Father God. As parents, we ask for wisdom and discernment. And God, I pray for these parents that in the home there would be peace and rest because we're doing it your way. Thank you for Jesus dying on that cross, taking our punishment so that we could know you as a father. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.